Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today we're continuing our series called The ABCs of Faith. And we're looking at what faith is. This is actually the hardest thing to get right, is the definition of faith. What is faith? There's a lot of confusion about this. Many just think it's something that's mysterious. We can never really know what it is. And so they try and look at their feelings to feel if they've got enough faith. But that actually opens you to deception because our feelings are not a reliable guide to whether we have faith or not because our flesh will always tell us that we don't quite have enough faith. So we'll never act on our faith. We'll never release our faith and we won't see God's blessings as a result. And so it's very important that we know what faith is because we're told to walk by faith, talk by faith, live by faith. But if we don't know what faith is, how can we do that? How can we... We'll be greatly hindered in operating by faith. For example, Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you can put out the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, you're commanded to do something with your faith, to take the shield of your faith. But if you don't know what the shield of faith is, if you don't know what faith is, how can you do that? Well, I find most faith teaching actually avoids this issue, and it, and it jumps straight into other stuff doesn't tell you what faith is, but it tells you how, how it comes, how it works, and so on. But if you don't know what faith is, a lot of that will go over your head. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to tackle that. Those who do tackle the issue of what faith is often go wrong in one of two ways. Either they subtract from the true concept of faith, leaving us with an inadequate idea of what faith is, or they will add to it. And particularly, they will confuse faith with works. The first mistake is to reduce faith to something less than what it really is, and that is intellectual assent, which simply means that you accept God's word as true. Now, that's good, but it's not enough. It's not the full f- definition of faith. To Just agreeing with the word of God, affirming it, yes, that's necessary part of faith, but it is not sufficient for it to be a saving faith. Now, this is very important because this is the misconception that many nominal Christians have. You see, they, th- they believe they're saved, perhaps, when in fact they're not. They accept Christianity as basically true, and so they see themselves as Christian. But they've never personally put their trust in Christ, and that's the missing ingredient, trust. They've They've never accepted him as their Savior and Lord. And so faith also includes the decision to yield the will, to surrender, to put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so faith that is simply intellectual assent is not a a sufficient definition. Now the second mistake goes the other way, and it adds works to the definition of faith. So you'll hear it said, well, what's faith? Faith is doing the word. Now, that sounds positive, doesn't it? But it totally confuses the issue of what faith is. And, and it confuses the issue of how we get saved. I love Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, by grace are we saved through faith. And that, and actually it's talking about that whole salvation and the faith. The salvation through faith is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And here it says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from any works that we might do. And so, you see, if you put works into your definition of faith, uh, of what faith is, you make a nonsense of the scripture and you're actually ending up teaching a very false doctrine, which is salvation by faith plus works. Now, faith, in its essence, can have nothing to do with works. Now, good works are important, but they are the product of faith. They're the result of faith, not part of what faith is in itself. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that stays alone, because soon good works will be added to your faith. Saving faith will produce a changed heart and good works. And those works reveal the presence of faith in the heart. And actually, that's what Ephesians 2 goes on to say, because it says, now that we're saved, for now, we are his workmanship. We're born again, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in other words, faith produces works, but in itself, faith is not a work. It's an attitude of the heart that receives God's working in us. It's something formed in our heart by the word of God. It's described in Hebrews 11.1 1 as the substance. Faith is the substance in our heart of things hoped for. And that's why it says in Romans 10.9 and 10, it says that if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him. And it says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Faith is in the heart. It's not an outward work. It's an inward disposition, an attitude of the heart. Uh, to make this clearer, notice what Romans 4.16 says. It says, therefore it, salvation, is of faith, that it might be according to grace. Think about that. Faith and grace are like twins. God designed salvation to be received by faith so that it might be according to grace, that is, on a free gift basis. If it's by faith, then, our good works must be excluded as a means of salvation. Compare this with Romans 11.6. It says, if by grace, you see, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works... It's no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Notice, grace and works are two separate ways. And if it's grace, then it's through faith. So, but the way of faith excludes works. If we're saved by grace through faith alone, apart from any works, so you see, the correct concept of faith cannot include works at all. Faith is not a work that we do, but faith is trusting in Christ and the work that he did for us. Now, I want to give you some illustrations that, that describe the nature of faith. The simplest one is, is, for instance, if you give someone a free gift. If you were to offer someone a free gift, let me see if I've got any money here. Yeah, if I was going to offer you this five pounds as a free gift, how would you receive it? Well, you would just reach out. If you, if you believe me, you'd reach out and you'd take it, wouldn't you? That's what faith is. You see, grace is God's hand of blessing and salvation reaching out to us. And faith is our hand 
reaching out to receive, join with God's hand and receive his gift of grace. And so what to do that? We have to believe the offer is true. We have to believe the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. And then we have to come to him and receive, believe we receive, trust his offer and receive it for ourselves. That's a simple illustration of faith. Another one is, is essentially that we, faith is, involves transferring our trust from ourselves to Jesus Christ. Uh, that means letting go of all our works and putting all our trust in him. Uh, I think of a story that someone was hanging off the edge of a cliff and they were holding onto a branch, uh, just the one branch from a small tree. And that branch could break any time, and he would fall to his death. And so he cried out, is anyone out there? Please help me. And a voice boomed from heaven, saying, I'm God. I'm here. I will save you. Just let go of the branch, and I will catch you. He had to let go of everything, you see, and put his trust completely in God. Uh, Guess what he said back? He said, is anyone else out there? Well, that's often our response, isn't it? Well, another picture of faith is a man is drowning. He's about to go under for the last time. He's hopeless. He can't save himself. And then he sees a rope thrown out to him. And he hears someone says, I've come to save you. Just lay hold of that rope and I'll pull you to safety. And if he trusts him, he'll grab hold of that rope and be saved through the strength of another. And so we too are lost in the sea of our sin and heading for death. We're too weak to save ourselves. But when we hear the word of the gospel telling us that God has thrown the rope of salvation to us, if we've got any sense, we will decide to trust him and lay hold of that rope, and he will pull us out of danger. Praise God. We can't boast that we've saved ourselves. He saved us, but we had to trust him. You see, we could have refused his help and splash around in our own strength in the sea, but eventually we will drown. Stop trying to save yourself. And instead, lay hold of God's word and let his power save you. See, the essence of faith is trust. Before you can trust someone, though, you must know about them and their character. There's a story about a a blind girl whose house was on fire and her only hope was to jump. And her father who she's never seen because she was blind, but yet she knows him. And he calls uh, to her to jump. He says, I'll catch you in my arms. And all she has is his promise. And the knowledge that he loves her and that he's strong enough to catch her. And so she then must make the decision to trust him, to jump into his arms. She can only be saved when she puts her trust in his promise. She could stay there in the house, not trust, and burn to death. And you know the house of your life is burning down, and you'll live in an everlasting fire unless you jump into the arms of Jesus. He will catch you. He'll save you from hell if you trust him. Well, another story of salvation that I find particularly helpful, a a parable, is that, that there was once a kingdom ruled over by a strong, righteous king, and his son, the prince, and all was well and at peace. 
until a clever enemy came in and sowed seeds of dissatisfaction and discord. And soon there was a rebellion breaking out. Many turned away from the king and his ways and uh, rejected his authority. They all wanted to do their own thing. And so violence broke out. Many terrible things were done. Poverty and suffering came in on every side. The king was distressed by all of this. And he was actually powerful enough to crush this rebellion and destroy all the rebels. And, uh, but he did care for his people, even the ones that had gone astray. And everyone wondered how the king would respond. Would he just come out in his righteous anger and destroy all the rebels? Well, he had a meeting with his son. And they decided on a plan of action, and the, the courtiers were amazed when they heard what this plan was. The prince stood up and announced it. He says, we have decided that this terrible sin of the, of the rebellion must be punished by death. But I am offering myself to die in the place of the rebels. I will take the full punishment they deserve, and my father is willing to forgive them on the basis of my death. And so it was that this innocent prince was, was executed for the guilty rebels because the king and, and the prince loved these people. And then the king, after this death, the king sent messengers to every part of his land, offering amnesty, a free pardon to all the rebels. Some of them even killed those messengers, but the word, the good news, went out far and wide. All they had to do, you see, was to trust the offer and repent of their rebellion and, and come before the king and bow before him, and then he would freely forgive them and restore them to full citizenship as if they'd never done anything wrong. But if they rejected the offer, they would be judged with an even greater judgment than they would have been before because not only had they rebelled, but they had rejected the mercy of the king and the blood of the king's own son. Well, when they had knowledge of this offer, some didn't believe in that it was even a genuine offer. It was maybe some trick. Surely the king doesn't love us that much that he'd give his son to die for us. Some believed that the offer was true, but they still uh, wanted to continue in their lifestyle, and so they did not want to come and trust and, and surrender to the king. And all those who rejected the king's offer were destroyed. But all who believed in him and came to him and surrendered to him and acknowledged him as Lord, they were fully restored and forgiven as a wonderful act of mercy, even if they'd done some terrible things. And this love of the king only caused them to love him all the more. And this is what a great picture of faith. And this shows us that when we come to Jesus, we come to him as our savior, yes, to have our sins forgiven and to be restored, but we also have to come to him as our Lord and acknowledge his right to rule over us. You see, faith involves trusting him for eternal life and also surrendering to him as our Lord and our God. You see, by the nature of the situation, if they were to respond to the king's offer of a free pardon, the rebels had to repent of their rebellion and accept again the king's authority over them. What is inconceivable that a rebel would come along, get his free pardon, and then carry on in the same rebellion. That is not a possibility. 
And that's why we have to accept Jesus' lordship as part of our salvation. And the first sign of someone possessing a saving faith is that they confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You believe in the heart unto righteousness. That's what saves you. But then if you have that saving faith that has surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you will then surely confess him as your Lord. And then Romans 10 goes on to say that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call on Jesus as your Lord to be saved. And so we might sum faith up in these words. Uh, CAT, K stands for knowledge. First you have to have knowledge of God's word. What God promises you, what God offers you. And you have to have knowledge of God himself and his son. That he is a good God, that he loves you. That he's powerful to save you. And then you have to, A stands for agree and assent. You have to accept that word as true. But finally, you now have to personally trust. That's the T. You've got to put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in the promise. Knowing that he's faithful and powerful to do what he said. You trust the promise and you also surrender to the one who made the promise. You see, when you accept God's promise in your life, you are surrendering to God's will in that area. You're accepting the promise for yourself. And so, there are many salvation verses in the Bible that describe saving faith and using different expressions. For instance, Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You see, believing on speaks of trusting. Believing in Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Praise God. Uh, Jesus said, surely I say to you, whoever believes in me. That speaks of trust, believing in a person. Not just believing in what they say, but trusting in a person. That's faith, trust. Another expression is to come to Christ. John 6, 37, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, that's an act of trust. That's a decision to, to come to Christ and personally trust him. Whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Then he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden in their sin, and I will give you rest, I'll give you salvation. To come to Christ is not just believing in the right things about him. It's a decision to trust and to receive. In fact, in John 7.37, it talks about this coming to God and receiving. He says, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, receive. And as a result, he who believes in me, you see, that's, the, that's equivalent to believing, coming and drinking. He who believes in me, as a result, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He spoke this about the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Drinking is receiving. And drinking and receiving is equivalent to believing, trusting in God. Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And so faith begins with knowledge. You have to know what the offer is and who the person is giving you the offer. 
Once you know and are convinced by that, then you come to him and you ask him for it. And then it says, and he will have given you living water. Whoever asks receives. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water I give him will, be, will never thirst. But the water I give him will become in him a fountain of everlasting life. So Jesus said, if you will know who I am, and then if you will come and ask me for this water, I will give it to you. That's the saving faith, is when you come and ask and receive. This is also described as calling. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's also described as receiving. See, this is all words of trust, personal trust. It says about John 1.12, as many as received Christ, to him he gave them the right to become children of God. Even those who believe in his name, you see, believing, trusting in his name, is the same as receiving him. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door of his heart, I will come in to him and sup with him. In other words, saving faith is receiving Christ into your heart. Sometimes it's described as repentance. Now, repentance is the act of your will. For instance, when Jesus preached the gospel, Mark 1.15, he preached, repent and believe in the gospel. And so, s- repent and believe is a, just makes it clearer what believing means. Uh, it's the two sides of one coin. You see, to be- put all your trust in Jesus Christ, to make that decision, you are repenting, you are changing your mind, you are turning from another way of life, of going your own way, where you're your own Lord, where you're your own Savior, and you have to repent of trusting in yourself, and living for yourself to putting your trust in Jesus Christ. So repent and believe is also equivalent to believe. Acts 20.21 says that Paul preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And I find in the book of Acts that the, the word repentance is often used for saving faith, that we are turning from our old life of trusting ourselves, making ourselves our own God, and now we are making Jesus our Lord and our Savior. So these are all the descriptions of true faith. But works is not part of that. We do works to show that we've repented. Our works prove that we've believed. But saving faith itself is trusting in Jesus Christ alone. We've been studying saving faith because salvation is through faith alone. And so this gives us a perfect portrait of what faith is. Now that we're saved by faith, of course, we are to live by faith. And we are to receive all of God's promises by faith. And so the faith by which we're to govern our life is the same kind of faith by which we were saved in the first place. So what we learnt about saving faith also applies to all faith generally. Just as we receive and trust and surrender to him as our saviour, for example, so we are to receive trust and surrender to him as our healer. But we learn about faith in the clearest way by looking at salvation because we are clearly saved by faith alone. But what we learn applies to every area of life. Faith is knowing the will of God and trusting him and surrendering to the will of God 
that's expressed in his word, and then we have faith in our heart. And so how does, it, how does the process work? It says, first of all, God works with his word. He reveals it to, his, to our mind that we know it. He convinces us of its truth, and then he enables us to come to him and trust him and receive. And you can analyze where you are in your faith life in, in regard to any area. Number one, you have to ask, do I know what the promise of God says? Because that's the first step. Number two, are you fully persuaded that that promise is for you and that God is generous and faithful to give it to you? And once you've reached that point, then you need to say, have I put my trust in Christ? Have I come to him? Have I received that promise? If you have done all those three, then you are in faith. You, you have believed God. No matter what the circumstances and your feelings say, if you have trusted his word, then you, you are in faith. Don't let like, the devil try to persuade you otherwise. How do you get to that point? It's through meditation. First you hear and meditate on the word until, you're con- until you know what, the, what God promises you in that area. Then continue to meditate on the word, and particularly the character of the one who made it. Is God powerful enough? Is he faithful enough? Does he love you enough to do it? And once you're convinced that he who said it is faithful and powerful to do it, then you are ready to take that final step and put your trust in Christ alone and put your trust in that promise and in God who made that promise to fulfill it in your life. And so what is faith? In conclusion, faith is taking God at his word. That's the spirit of faith. When God says he forgives us when we confess our sins, I trust him and I base my life on that, whatever my feelings say. When he says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, I put my foot on that verse, it belongs to me. We grow in faith as we put our foot on more and more of his promises. When you, be- when you hear the word and accept it as true, you have faith to a degree. But then when you trust and surrender to that promise, faith is now formed in your heart. That faith is now a channel through which God's power can flow. The faith in your heart changes you. It's now the substance, the foundation, the basis for your whole life. All that you say and do. Once faith is formed in your heart, you can now live, walk, and talk by faith. Act by faith. And then you will start to see the life the spirit, the power of God flowing through you. That is, through the faith in your heart. Only believe, and God's life will fill your life. Amen.